Good morning. The reading today is from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. Headed, The Holy Spirit Comes at Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They have had too much wine. Good morning and a warm welcome from me. Um, if you've closed your Bible, would you open that up again, please, to Acts and chapter 2. And let's pray together. Dear Father, on this day we're looking at in the Bible, people heard the wonders of God declared by the power of the Spirit. Please may your Spirit declare to us now the wonders of God through your word. For Jesus' sake, Amen. Back in the 1960s, a physicist named Edward Lorentz was working on a computer in the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. He was developing a program which could predict future weather patterns once certain meteorological data had been entered. But one day in trials, he made a mistake. He meant to type in 0.506.127, but he accidentally le left out the 127. Now, he suspected it wouldn't make any dif difference, not a significant one, to the results. Because after all, those three, num three numbers represented just one part in 1,000. But still, he ran the tests again with that wrong number. And the results were astonishing. That tiny change completely altered the predicted weather pattern. He later explained it was as if a tiny atmospheric disturbance in Peking, no more than the beat of a butterfly's wing, should a few days later give rise to a Force 12 hurricane in New York. The discovery was named the Butterfly Effect. And so, friends, next time the weather forecasters get it wrong, just cut them a little slack. I mean, a plane going in the wrong direction can change everything. It is possible for an event to have consequences far greater than its initial significance would suggest. And today, we're thinking about such one such event. Let me ask you a question, a question I'm sure that you ask all the time, chat about all the time, you know, in the downtime. What do you think are the five most important days in the history of the world? I, I know that's what you chat about over your shreddies this morning, whatever, but just think in your mind for a moment. What would you put on that shortest? world-changing days in history. Now, let's get number one out of the way. 
your birthday. Now, obviously, that's, that's very meaningful to us all. Uh, other than that, maybe you think, I don't know, the, the internet launching, some of you, there was a time before the internet. I, I am older than Google, it's true. Uh, maybe you might say the, the first day rolling, the first book rolling off the Gutenberg press. Maybe when the first atomic bomb drops. That changed everything, changed the world. Uh, here's what I would say are the five most important days in the history of the world. The birth of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus, and then this day we're going to look at in Acts chapter 2. You won't find this day taught in history classes in primary school or secondary education or most higher education. You won't find it in detailed multi-volume histories of the world. And yet here is an event of world-changing significance. Its consequences can be felt all over the world, nearly 2,000 years on, including here in Hove. The event is Pentecost. We're in a series in this book called Acts. See, by now, Jesus has come, died, risen from the dead, and ascended back to heaven. Some people are following him as their Lord and Saviour. Acts is the true story of what happens next. We're early in the story, just at chapter 2, and at this point there are just 120 followers of Jesus on the entire planet, and they're all together in Jerusalem. What are they doing? They're waiting. That's because soon before Jesus went to heaven, he said to them, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God, he's a person, the third person of the Trinity. And, and here he comes. So my first heading this morning, boom, the Holy Spirit comes. And yes, I did just use boom in a sermon heading for the first time ever, probably the last. Verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. I used to associate Pentecost only with this day in Acts 2, but Pentecost didn't begin on this day. It began centuries before. It was a big Jewish festival instigated by God in the Old Testament scriptures. Back then, it was called the Feast of Weeks. Later, it became known as Pentecost. Pen. Five. Pentagon. Five sides. But Pentecost means 50th. In the Jewish calendar, Pentecost was 50 days after the Passover festival. And it was an important date for Jews. It was their harvest festival. And of course, in their culture, they were far more aware than us of the significance of the harvest. But here's what it means. There were loads of people in Jerusalem. But when it's bright and hope pride, an international crowd of thousands descend. So with Pentecost, vast crowds of pilgrims from all over the known world were in Jerusalem for the party. Although under somewhat different circumstances. Uh, you see, the point is that it was no accident then that what happened next happened when this international crowd was in town. You might call it a God incidence. You might not, but you get the point. So the stage is set. The Holy Spirit has been promised. This small group of Jesus followers are waiting. A big international crowd are there. Now, you know a volcanic explosion is on its way when there's a serious rumbling, but you don't know exactly when the eruption will happen until... Boom. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit 
and began to, to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Wow. Three phenomena. Did you spot them? A phenomenal sound, a phenomenal sight, and phenomenal speech. First, there's a phenomenal sound. See verse 2 again. There's a sound like a violent wind. You couldn't miss it. It filled the whole house. Maybe to us it would have sounded like a huge oncoming steam train. So where did it come from? We're told it came from heaven. It came from, then, the place of God. And what's the point? Well, did you know that elsewhere in the Bible the Holy Spirit is likened to breath or wind? What's the point? We read in chapter 1 how Jesus went to heaven. Now something divine is coming from heaven. And notice that it, it came suddenly while they were sitting. So not because of anything these Christians were doing. They weren't prostrate in prayer. They, they weren't standing with outstretched arms in exalting worship. Now they were playing games. They were reading the paper. They were Netflix and chill. Then suddenly, boom, a phenomenal sound. Followed by a phenomenal sight. Verse 3. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And this is like fire, but it's not fire. And again, the biblical imagery is unmistakable. For example, in the Old Testament book of Exodus, the Lord appears in a bush that doesn't burn up. He appears as a flame um, that, that, isn't, that doesn't burn the bush. Now, this phenomenal fire-like sight has God's fingerprints all over it. And, and here, God gets personal. We, we, we read, don't we, the fire-like tongues separated and came to rest on each of them, every one of the 120 followers of Jesus. So a phenomenal sound and a phenomenal sight, both pointing to the presence of God, but the, the truly phenomenal one. In The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, Mr. Beaver has a line which sends a shiver of excitement down your spine. They say, Aslan is on the move, perhaps has already landed. Well, here, God is on the move, and he's just about to land. Verse 4, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Here it is. The waiting is over at last. God the Holy Spirit comes. No one was missed out. Women, men, children, leaders, non-leaders, all 120 of them completely filled with the Spirit in an instant. And yes, the, the Spirit doesn't just come near them or around them or on them. He doesn't just visit them or touch them. He fills each one of them full to the brim. Full, in fact, to overflowing. Verse 4 again. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So after the phenomenal sound and the phenomenal sight, there's this phenomenal speech. We speak of someone's native tongue or their mother tongue. And we're talking, of course, about their language. Well, the word translated tongues here can also be translated languages. And soon we discover that is what it means here. And this really is phenomenal. The spirit-filled disciples are suddenly enabled to speak in languages they have never spoken before. This is another miracle wrought by the spirit. Now this event, with its threefold phenomena, to state the obvious, 
I mean, it is extraordinary. In fact, it's a one-off. It hadn't happened before, and it hasn't happened since, not later in the Book of Acts, nor at any other time in history. But that's not a problem. It's not a surprise. It's not a problem. If we expect or want it to happen again, we've actually probably missed the point of it. You see, the point of this, God calls this phenomena on this day because he had a simple but crucial message that he wants to send to them and to us loud and clear. The message is this. The promised Holy Spirit has come. And so a new era in history has begun. Let's zoom out for a second for some context. Since the creation of the world, the Holy Spirit has been active in our world. But previous to Pentecost, through the Old Testament, he only ever lived in a few people, and sometimes only temporarily. Yet also in the Old Testament, God promised that a new era would come, when the Spirit would be poured out on, and indwell, all who have God as their God. Well, this day of Pentecost is the beginning of that new era. And that era is our era. We're still in it today. Now maybe you can understand why I put Pentecost as one of my five most significant days in history. But what about number six? Actually we've already been told what the next and final most significant day in the history of the world will be. In chapter one we read verse 11, men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. The next and last most significant day in the history of the world will be the day Jesus comes back. We live in the time between five and six, in the era between the day of Pentecost and that coming day of Christ. And this is an era where all those who trust in Jesus are filled with the Spirit forever. What a time to be alive. Do you trust in Jesus? Then you are filled with the Spirit forever. No wonder then God wants us to be in no doubt that this amazing era has begun. And that's why he brought about these amazing phenomena to accompany the kickoff of this phenomenal era. They helped to make this big message loud and clear. The time of the fullness of the Spirit for all my people has come. Clearly, that's not a message. God needs to send us more than once. So we shouldn't look for a repeat of all that's going on here. This more than does the job. We just need to be reminded of it. That's, that's why it's very good to have uh, Pentecost Sunday coming up in a few weeks' time. Once a year. We need it more than once a year, though. See, it's a bit like the difference between the opening ceremony of the Olympic Games and the Games themselves. Last week, an 11-year-old Brazilian skateboarder made history with a world-first 1080-degree turn on a vertical ramp. But that's three rotations. Let me show you. Something like this, okay? Comes up, and it's a one, it's a two, it's a three, and down it comes. I mean, wow. Seems pretty easy, actually. Don't know what the fuss is about. Anyway, the point is that afterwards, he said in an interview that his dream is to take part in the Olympics. He said it would be amazing. But note that his dream was not to take part in the opening ceremony. There's only one Olympics opening ceremony I remember. It was for London 2012. I think it had uh, hospital beds and the Spice Girls and Mr Bean. 
And despite the Spice Girls, the ceremony was really good. But the opening ceremony is not the Olympics. There were years of anticipation for London 2012, not for the opening ceremony, but the Games themselves, where day after day, in event after event, people did amazing sporting things, and, and Great Britain just kept on winning gold medals. Pentecost is a bit like the opening ceremony. After all that waiting, it's a great moment. But it's not the main event. It's a great moment because it marks the start of the more wonderful main event. But then, what is the main event all about? What is the result of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit on all God's people here? The answer is world mission. Or here's how we might put it. Now that, boom, the Holy Spirit comes, the time has come for God's people to declare the wonders of God to every nation under heaven. Snappy it ain't. But the time has come for God's people to declare the wonders of God to every nation under heaven. Look back to Jesus' last words, recorded by Luke, in uh, chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now this is their mission, and ours, to speak of Jesus globally. But they must have wondered how on earth it could possibly be accomplished. There was just a small band of his followers. But then the Spirit came on the disciples, and they were transformed. They started speaking boldly in languages their hearers could understand, and so the news of Jesus spread like wildflower, wildfire. Let's read verse 5. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. See that note, every nation under heaven. Look, don't press that too literally, like, you know, where were the Norwegians or the Welsh? No, Luke is saying that on the day of Pentecost, Jews from every known nation were there. And that's significant for grasping what's going on here. Verse 6. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one spoke their own language. Each one heard their own language being spoken. So get this. God's Spirit enabled his people to speak every native language spoken by this crowd. They haven't got an interpreter, yet they understand every word. They're going, hang on, that's my language. That, that's my dialect. And from Galileans, of all people, verse 7, utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Some of us know the Milson family, who moved to Spain a couple of years ago. They're still working hard to get to grips with Spanish. I have a couple of friends working with Wycliffe Bible translators. After months of intensive language training, they went out, one to Senegal, the other to Mozambique. They too are still working hard to learn a new language. But as they travel around, they need interpreters for all the other dialects they haven't a clue about. Contrast them with the disciples. They hadn't had a crash course in languages. They were Galileans, uneducated, not an A-level between them, let alone a modern language degree. And yet suddenly, between them, they started speaking fluently all the language represented in the Pentecost crowd. No wonder the hearers were utterly amazed. The English are notoriously lazy at learning other languages. Some of you are from other countries, so you've learned English. 
but you also know at least your native language as well. Well, imagine you were with a group of English people and all of a sudden they're speaking your language, whatever that is, Japanese, Chinese, Spanish. I mean, it could only be a miracle, especially given what lazy bums the English are on this. Now, in verses 8 to 11, Luke underlines the international aspect of all this. He lists off the nationalities whose languages were being spoken. So let's uh, spot them on this map. Uh, we start with the Parthians on the, on the wide right, or east as it's usually known. Um, so look, verse 9, Parthians, Medes, Media, and Elamites. Do you see Elam there? Residents of Mesopotamia, it's there too. Judea, um, moving in, more down the south, and Cappadocia, whatever, Pontus, um, more central, uh, north of the map, Asia, um, going round to the west, Phrygia, um, next to Asia, Pamphylia, uh, south of Phrygia, Egypt, you know where that is, and the parts of Libya, near Cyrene, going uh, west of, of, of Egypt. Uh, visitors from, from, from Rome, Italy, uh, both Jews and converts to J- Judaism, uh, Cretans and, and Arabs. And you can see um, uh, Arabia down the, uh, to, the, to the east of, of Judea, uh, towards, towards the south of the map. This covers most of the first century Roman world. And are you getting the point? Luke asks us by including this list. Every nation under heaven are hearing God's people speak in their own language. The crucial question next then is, what were they hearing? What did the Holy Spirit want them to know? The most important things of all is the answer. End of verse 11. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. We discover as we go on in Acts that this means the wonders of what God has done through the life, death, resurrection and ascension of Jesus. Meaning that whoever calls on Jesus can be saved. That's what the crowds heard in their own languages from God's people, empowered by the Holy Spirit on this day of Pentecost. And they did not know what to make of it. Verse 12, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. They didn't know what to make of it. But we do. It's this. God's agenda for all the people of our world is that they would hear the good news of Jesus through Jesus' people. You see, the, the God who rules our world is a missional God. And nothing more aptly expresses the will of God for the evangelization of the world than the Spirit of God enabling God's people to proclaim the great deeds of God in the world's languages. This is what gives the Pentecost story its beauty and meaning. The good news about Jesus is for all peoples, irrespective of race, colour or language. He came as saviour of the world and God wants the world to hear about him. God's Holy Spirit is given to God's people so that all nations might hear this message. Jesus is God's judge and king. To him, all people must one day give account. Turn to him. We now live in a multi-ethnic, multicultural land. And in our age of political correctness, it's dangerous to say that all people need to hear about Jesus and turn to Jesus. What about those of other faiths? 
Buddhists, Muslims, Hindus, Sikhs, Jews. Yes, all nations, all faiths must hear. For having faith is is not enough. We all have faith. Atheism is a faith position. Agnosticism too. The, The agnostic who says we can't know if there's a God has faith, either that there is a God, but he hasn't made himself known, or that there's no God. We all have faith. Having faith is not enough. A person's faith must be in the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, is there anyone that we think the Christian good news isn't for? Think again, if there is. The gospel of Christ is for all people without exception. For all people without exception have rebelled against God's rule in their lives, gone their way, not his. All people are under God's wrath, therefore, for their disobedience. God raised Jesus to life to demonstrate that he is the ruler and judge of all people, but also to show that through his death, forgiveness and eternal life with God is available to all people without exception. And so, of course, all nations must hear this message. But isn't that rather arrogant? It it would be if it was my idea. But it's God's plan. One day everyone will stand before Jesus. And God's desire is that as many as possible are prepared for that day. So yes, we must be sensitive in our approach. Yes, we must be courteous in our manner. But yes, we must keep going. Or get going. In making Jesus known to all and sundry. Even if people mock us. Saying we must have drunk too much. Now, of course, we don't have to go to another nation to do that. I mean, after all, our green and pleasant land is one nation under heaven. The Apostle John writes of the new heavens and earth, that there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. And since this day of Pentecost, as God's people have declared the wonders of God, more and more people have been added to that multitude from across across the globe. Remember the butterfly effect. This one day, almost 2,000 years ago, though missed out of our history books, continues to have dramatic effects today. If you're a Christian this morning, it's because of this first Pentecost in Acts 2. When Jesus sent his Holy Spirit, he did it because people from all nations must hear, you included. If you're a Christian, you have the same spirit of Jesus in you. He's filled us so that we can know God personally and intimately and and so that together and individually he will equip us to declare the wonders of God to every nation under heaven, starting with the people next door. There is an association that is strong in the Bible, but not always strong amongst Christians. And it's this. The work of the Holy Spirit is not just about personal experience, but a commitment to mission globally. Seen, not least, in getting on with mission locally. The message of Pentecost then is this. Keep in step with the Spirit. Share God's heart for people from every nation to hear the gospel and be saved. And share God's message to people around you without distinction that they might be saved. That's a spirit-filled Christian. That's a spirit-filled church. 
Now, I think many today see the church as another kind of club to belong to. Some belong to the gym, others support a football team, play bingo, go bowling. Our churches need to shatter the illusion that we're just a club for the religious. Jesus' church is to be world-challenging and world-changing. But that takes each of us to play our part, even in this time of relative lockdown. Let me ask you this morning, are you on board, sharing in the vision and joining in the task? If not, the message of Peter's Pentecost sermon that follows our passage, and we'll look at next week, it requires your response. Let me read from chapter 2, verse 38. Peter says, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit poured out on that first Pentecost is available to each of us today. What a time to be alive.